new lesson tonight. And tonight we continue with a very important lesson um, on holiness and discipleship that is, it's, it's a practical lifestyle issues is the section that we're on. You know, the first section we covered was a lot of basics, prayer, reading the word, fasting, things that we have to be doing that are integral for our Christian walk. This section, second section focuses on lifestyle choices that we can make that allow us to continue growing with God. Otherwise, we can allow things to get in our lives that kind of hinder that growth. It becomes a, a, a thing that we can trip over and fall down, and it, and it keeps us from continuing to grow. And so remember, holiness is not just what we're separated unto. It's what we're separated from. Don't let anybody say it's just one or the other. It's really both. That's saying I'm separating from certain things and unto God. That's what holiness is. And so tonight, we, uh, I bring up my slide now, and we're going to be looking at the title is Guard Your Temple. And it says here, your body is his temple, but our, our title is Guard Your Temple. Let's pray. Jesus, Father, thank you for the opportunity to study your word, to get together with people of like precious faith. Lord, who every one of us, whether we're here in person or listening online, have this desire to know you, to grow with you, to remove any hindrances from our lives that could possibly set us back or trip us up. Lord God, we're thankful for your word that you've preserved it for us so that we can study principles. In your name we pray, Jesus' name, amen. Your body, our body, point to yourself and say, my body is his temple. I had more people say my body, and then they kind of dropped off. Let's say my body is his temple. Once you've repented of your sins, God has filled you with his spirit. Our body becomes a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is the spirit of the Lord. And when I go to, to my slide in 1 Corinthians 6, chapter 6, verse 19, it says, what? Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, and it says, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, you are not your own. For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So those that want to say, well, I just don't know about this. It's like God's just trying to tell me what to do. Well, I think he has a right to tell you what to do because he purchased our bodies. Literally, the scripture says our bodies are not our own. Therefore, I want to glorify God, not just praise and worship and come into church, but with every facet of my life. Everything, everything I think, do, say, watch, wear, every facet is worship unto him. And so this literally means that our bodies have become this, this, this dwelling place, this home for our Savior to dwell. Speaking in tongues is the initial evidence that God's taken residence in us. Now that he lives in us, we become that temple, and the Bible commands us to take care of that temple. Say that with me. He say, the Bible commands me. To take, care to take care of my temple. Really, that, that, that is a scriptural command. 1 Corinthians 3.17 says, If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple is holy, which temple you are. To defile means to make dirty, filthy, to dishonor, to corrupt, the purity, the perfection of, to contaminate. This clearly means that we are to take excellent care of the body that God now inhabits. This can include a lot of different things, such as exercising, eating right, and I'll get on that 
a little bit later. And remember, Brother Foster taught a great message on the purpose of your pastor and how sometimes the pastor encourages and sometimes the pastor kind of has to get in our face and we don't get offended, but we just, yeah, remember that? That was a good message. Because not everything's going to be encouragement. I think I'm going to challenge a couple people tonight, and I'm going to walk on maybe some ice that's just kind of thin, and so you have to just bear with me. But this is why Paul challenges us on a number of different occasions to make sure that we constantly keep our flesh and our desires in check. He says in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means when I've preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. In other words, in 21st century language, that might be, hey, a hypocrite too. I'm going to preach one way, but live another way. Nobody listens to someone like that. If we don't keep our desires and our bodies in check, sin ends up taking over the holy temple that God is supposed to be in control of. Now look at Romans 6, 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. Don't yield your instruments to sin. But yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members instruments of righteousness unto God. So the Bible makes it clear that nothing should be in control of our body that could potentially cause us to sin or lose control. And again, some of you, a lot of this content tonight very well could be like, I know this. I would never do that anyway. We're going to get into some, some issues where you go, well, that's not really a big deal to me. But you need to know it, A, to guard yourself against it, and B, new believers walk into this building. You have to know what Scripture says and how to help them. Amen? And so this verse says, don't yield yourselves to, uh, oh, uh, um, what are we doing? What happened there? Did I do something wrong? There we go. To defile or yield. Defile means to dirty, make filthy, dishonor. But look at yield. It says to stand aside or voluntarily give control. There are a number of ways that people today voluntarily give up control of members, being our minds or our bodies, to potentially sin. Today we're going to look at a, a couple of specific things, which I could go on and on and on and on and on. So I'm not going to. I'm only going to go on and on. Um, but just because the rest of the world might find these things okay, we're going to talk about a few things that if you ask the average person, the people you work with, is there anything wrong with this? Is this a sin? The majority of people would say, no, there's no issues with that. What's wrong? What kind of church do you go to? How restrictive? But I don't base my life on what my coworkers say. I base my life on the principles found in the holy word of God. Can I get an amen? So whatever you do, even if you do struggle with this, if you're online listening, you're not here, if you're struggling with some of these things, this is by no means a cue for you to get up and leave the church. It's a cue for you to say, hey, I'm challenged. I see something in the word of God, and I want to be what God wants me to be. And so the reason we go over these things uh, in this series is because we're focusing in this series on how to get closer to God. And sometimes in order to get closer to something, it's not just what we need to put in, it's what we need to take out. In some lessons, we'll look at things we can do, again, to draw near. Others, it's what hindering, what could be hindering. But ultimately, the goal of each one of us should be, how can I please God, become more like him, and avoid things that are not pleasing? So the Bible says, don't 
yield yourselves. Don't voluntarily give up control of our bodies to any form of sin. So what exactly are some of the mistakes we might make in our lives where we could voluntarily give up control of our bodies and minds for sin? Well, the first issue we're going to look at is we don't yield ourselves to alcohol. And I'm going to spend the, the biggest chunk of time here because I'll, I'll, I'll let the cat out of the bag. Second thing is smoking and talks about that, why, why we don't do that. Because the Bible doesn't say, thou shalt not drink a cold Bud Light. The Bible does not say, thou shalt not smoke Marlboros. But the principles are very clearly there. Now, in our world today, you'll find that majority of people say, I know, even people who smoke, I know it's bad. It's not good for me. I know I should stop. Fine. A lot of people that drink alcohol not only claim that it's not bad for them, but some will make the case that wine is good for your stomach, and the Bible even says that. And so we're going to dive into this because we have to be educated. The days of just, well, I just said it because my pastor said it, my parents said it, and that's just it, and you just need to trust God. People don't listen to that. They want to know why, why? Show me scripture. And if we're a Bible-believing church, we've got to be able to stand on scripture. And so that's what we're going to do. If you, have, if you need a handout, by the way, raise your hand. We'll make sure we get one in your hand because there's good information in there. If someone could help me out here, uh, we got, what do we got? One or two. Um, so this is definitely a subject that could stir up controversy. The reason is because every denomination, it varies between denominations. There are denominational churches that actually drink alcohol in the service. The, the priests, the leaders drink alcohol. And so, so it can stir up controversial things. But um, let's take a look at the word of God to gain clarity on this subject. Whether you look in the Old Testament or the New Testament, God condemns strong drink. Take a look, Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1. <clears throat> I keep going back and forth between the two slides. Okay. Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. I can't add much to that. Isaiah 5, 11 and 12, woe unto them that rise up early in the morning, that they may follow strong drink, that continue until night, till wine inflame them. And the harp and the vial, the tabret and the pipe and wine are in their feasts, but they regard not the work of the Lord, neither consider the operation of his hands. So we see these warnings about strong drink, about wine, about, about these things. The New Testament says that whatsoever we do, Eating or drinking should be to the glory of God. That's what it says in Corinthians 10, 31. Whether you therefore you eat or drink, whatsoever you do, all to the glory of God. Every facet of my life, even eating and drinking, is to God's glory. Hence the fact, too, that I, I, I sit, I bow down, I, I say a prayer. I bow my head, I say a prayer before my meal. Because you know what? Even that meal, I'm, we glorify God in all that we do. And the evil consequences of wine and mixed wine are listed as woe, sorrow, contention, babbling, wounds, bloodshot eyes, sexual sin, indecent talk, loss of balance, coordination, insensibility, and addiction. Who here has ever been around a drunk person? Is there anything on that list that is not? There. I mean, if you hang, if you spend enough time with drunk people, you know that this list of sorrow, contention, babbling, wounds, bloodshot eyes, sexual sin, indecent talk, loss of balance, coordination, insensibility, addiction, those are all the case. 
Take a look at Proverbs. Man, God knows what he's talking about. Look at Proverbs chapter 23, starting at verse 29. Who has anguish? Who has sorrow? Who's always fighting? Who's always complaining? Who has unnecessary bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? It is the one who spends long hours in the taverns trying out new drinks. Don't gaze at the wine, seeing how red it is, how it sparkles in the cup, how smoothly it goes down. See, people that say, well, I just don't know why you're tempted by wine. Some people say, well, wine smells good and it tastes good and all this. Well, I don't even think the Bible is arguing against that fact. I mean, Eve looks at the fruit and says, boy, it looks good. God never comes along and says, that does not look good. Your definition of good is wrong. No. Sin is, goes after lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. And so he's saying, don't stare at how good it looks. Verse 32, for in the end, it bites like a poisonous snake. It stings like a viper. You will see hallucinations. You will see crazy things. It's like God knew what drunk people were going to be like. You will stagger like a sailor tossed at sea, clinging to a swaying. What? Does this not sound like your typical drunk person? Whoa, did you see that, man? See what? I'm just going to run to the bathroom. You know, you see these people, and it looks ridiculous. But I'm reading. You will see them stagger like a, sta- a sailor so, uh, looking for the mask, and you will, will say... They hit me, but I didn't feel it. It didn't even know. I didn't even know when they beat me up. When will I wait so I can look for another drink? And you read this passage and you see the, the hopeless life of, of someone who is addicted to alcohol. But God knew this. And so he says, don't stare at it. Don't even look. Don't smell it. Don't look it in the cup. Leave it alone. According to the government website on drug use or on alcohol Uh, Drug abuse. Nearly 17.6 million adults in the United States are alcoholics or have alcohol problems. It can cause damage to the liver, brain, and other organs. It causes birth defects. It increases the risk of death from car crashes and other injuries as well as the risk of homicide and suicide. Oh, what did I do? It increases... Uh, okay, next one. So alcohol is estimated to cause about 20 to 30% worldwide of, of esophageal cancer, liver cancer, cirrhosis of the liver, homicide, epilepsy, motor vehicle accidents. Overall, there's a causal relationship between alcohol consumption and more than 60 types of diseases and injuries. And worldwide, alcohol causes 2.5 million deaths. Surely... These evils are great enough to prove that the warnings in Proverbs chapter 23 are true. Throughout all the Old Testament, all those who were separated to God were forbidden to drink wine and strong drink. Well, there was alcohol in the Bible. You're right. But anyone who was consecrated to God was not supposed to drink these things. Sin resulted from the first wine drinking recorded in the Bible. Noah got drunk and dishonored his own body, causing embarrassment to others and an opportunity for others to sin. Look at Genesis. I'm having a hard time here. There we go. Genesis chapter 9, starting at verse 20. And Noah began to be a husbandman, and he planted a vineyard. And he drank of the wine and was drunken, and he was uncovered within his tent. He's naked. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father... 
and told his two brethren without. And Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders, went backward and covered the nakedness of their father and their faces were backward. They saw not their father's nakedness. Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him. And he said, cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall be unto his brethren. See, so there was, he was not supposed to, to be naked, not supposed to be uncovered like that. His two other boys, they went in backwards, they covered him up, they honored their father, right? And they kept themselves innocent, but the, the youngest one did not do that. So this first time that we read about somebody being drunk was an opportunity for sin to enter into a family. And guess what? It followed them for years and years. Then Lot moved forward. Lot became intoxicated, and he actually committed incest with his own daughters. It says, come, let us make our father drink wine. They said, we'll lie with him that we may preserve the seed of our father. They made their father drink wine that night. The firstborn went in, lay with her father, and perceived not. He didn't know when she came in, when she arose. And it came to pass on the morrow. The firstborn said to the younger, hey, I laid with him yesterday. Let's make him drink wine again tonight. Go in, lie with him, that we may preserve the seed of our father. And they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose. And what does it say? That, that he didn't know when she came. He didn't know when she went. But what happens is they were both daughters of Lot with child by their father. And the firstborn bore a son called his name Moab, the same as the father of the Moabites. Second one bore a son called his name Benami, and the same as the father of the children of Amnon. You want to know a story? Study history, what happens with the Moabites and the Ammonites. You're talking about lifelong enemies of God's people that were born out of an incestual relationship that resulted of being drunk with, with alcohol. Isaiah said that strong drink caused people, the priests, the prophets, to err and lose their way and lose their spiritual eyesight in Isaiah 28, 7. They also have erred through wine. He tells us how they erred. They erred through wine and through strong drink are out of the way. The priest and the prophet erred through strong drink. They swallow the wine. They're out of the way through strong drink. They err in vision. They stumble in judgment. Again, he's saying, hey, they messed up. Why? Because of the, because of the alcohol. In the New Testament, drunkenness is classified as a sin that will keep people from inheriting the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 6, Paul writes, Know ye not that unrighteousness shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, fornicators, adulterers, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. That's a scripture that says drunkards won't go to heaven. It's crystal clear. Jesus, Peter, Paul, they were all warned against drunkenness. Look at Jesus. He said, take heed yourselves, lest any time your hearts are overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life, so that the day comes on you unaware. It's basically, hey... You get too caught up in that lifestyle, you're not going to be ready. Look at Paul. He says, be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Peter says, for the time past of our life may suffice us to, us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, abominable idolatries. 
He's, he's basically saying that's a different life. That's not where we should be walking. Bishops and deacons are specifically required not to be given to wine. A bishop must be blameless, the husband of one wife. That's why I don't understand how some denominations can say that you have to uh, be celibate. It says right there, bishop must be a husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, nor a striker, filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. Again, crystal clear, after reviewing these scriptures, just looking at these, and I'm going quickly because there's so many references, but they're in your handout. But after reviewing these scriptures, it seems clear, Christians do not need to indulge in alcoholic beverages. Many people, however, try to justify drinking. So I, I start with all the clear things. Now let's take a moment to dive into the things that you leave really confident, but then you go have a conversation with somebody that really knows their stuff, and then you're going, uh, well, no, uh, no let's, let's just grab the bull by the horns and deal with it tonight. Okay, to understand these, it's helpful to know, remember, Old Testament written in Hebrew, New Testament written in Greek. Sometimes some of the meanings of the words get lost in translation. So we're going to look at what some of these words mean in the original languages. All right? So uh, there are two ma uh, major Hebrew words that are translated wine in the Old Testament. You have yayin, which is the Hebrew word for wine, meaning fermented or unfermented, and tirash, which is the Hebrew word that always refers to unfermented wine. Now, um, Yayin is the most common word used, and it can mean any type of wine. It usually refers to fermented wine, but yayin is also used to mean freshly made, unfermented grape juice. It's, it's, that, it's used that way in Isaiah 16 and Jeremiah 48. The other frequently used Hebrew word for wine is tirash. It almost always refers to newly made, unfermented wine. In the New Testament... Oinos is the Greek word uh, that is original word used for wine. It usually refers to fermented wine, but like its Hebrew counterparts, it can refer to unfermented wine as well. Man, don't you just wish we had used some different words back then? It would have been so much more clear. <laughs> but as a result of our study, what we've just looked at, we see that the word wine, though, in both Testaments can be used for either fermented or unfermented. This is the, you, can, you can look this up. It can be either way, both Old and New Testament. But in light of these facts and in light of the biblical warnings against wine, we cannot interpret any biblical reference to wine as condoning the drinking of strong alcoholic beverages. There's not one passage that we can stand on as a firm foundation and say, Here's what I'm saying. If I had a crazy party with all the strongest alcohol, Jesus would be cool coming to it. I'm not trying to prove that the people in the Old Testament didn't drink. They did. We can see, however, that the many evil results that followed, and we never read one account where someone was drunk and something positive came out of it. I can't even think of one in the 21st century where someone's ever been drunk and something positive has come out of it. The other thing some people rely on is to try to justify drinking is that, well, Jesus turned the water into wine. 
So he obviously got bored at that party. <laughs> Notice there's no proof that the wine that Jesus made was intoxicating. Verse 10 does not say that the guests got drunk. Look at John 2.10. It says, and say unto him, he says, every, every man at the, at the beginning doth set forth good wine. And when men have well drunk, then that which is worth is brought out. That was not saying when they were just toasted, completely drunk. He said when, they're, when they well drunk, that's that King James English. That does not mean that they were drunk. It means that they had drank a lot. That it, it never says, hey, it was intoxicating. The God that condemned drunkenness in the Old Testament would not make strong, intoxicating wine for people to get drunk in the New Testament. Drunkenness is a sin. Galatians 5.21, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like of the which I tell you before, as I've told you in times past, they that do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Two or three separate occasions now that we've read that a drunkard won't go to heaven. So I think if you believe any, any part of the Bible, whether you're listening online or here tonight, you can say, hey, based on scriptures, it's, one thing is clear. Drunkards won't go to heaven. So people can start to argue and go, well, what about, well, what is the definition of a drunkard? Well, how often do I have to be drunk? What if I only drink a little bit? And so you can get into all that, and we'll spend a few minutes on that. But we know that, hey, being a drunkard is a sin. And God tempts no man to sin. James 1.13 says, let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God. God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. The other thing that, and so that's why I read this and say, so do you think being a drunkard is a sin biblically? Jesus turned water to intoxicated wine just to tempt people and see if they would really get drunk? There's no sense here. So the other thing that confuses some, well, Paul tells Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach's sake. It appears Paul was recommending Timothy drink juice instead of water in order to strengthen his body and soothe his weak stomach, which even today a lot of people say, hey, drink some fruit juice. But let's take it a step further. It, it, it was very possible that Paul was advising Timothy to stay away from unsanitary local drinking water. We just covered that a couple weeks ago when I talked about a tale of two churches, how they were trying to pipe in water from the city of Colossus into Laodicea, and they were getting sick. So it's not like they just had tap water. Hey, I called a plumber. Like, that wasn't like that. So he might have been saying, Timothy, hey, bro, stay away from the water. So if it was for medicinal purposes, but let's say, uh, some say, well, no, he was, he was recommending a little bit of wine for stomach's sake. If it was for medicinal purposes, let's say devil's advocate, which seems like it clearly was, the question was whether or not it's alcoholic or not. Let's say that it was alcoholic. Let's say it wasn't the unsanitary drinking water. Let's say that he wasn't saying to take some fruit juice. Let's say he was truly saying, drink some fermented wine to help your stomach. Does this mean that God is now okay with people drinking four vodka gimlets in a night? Because think about it, folks. I don't know about you, 
But occasionally when I get really, really ill, I take a little alcohol from my stomach. You know what it's called? It's called NyQuil. I'll look at my wife sometimes when I'm sick and I'll say, honey, let's make it a NyQuil night. Because you know what? I am so sick. And that, that stuff, you take a shot of that stuff and you sleep well. There's some truth to that commercial where the person's like. <laughs> now, does that mean that when I take NyQuil, I'm like, all right, now that God must be okay with NyQuil. So I'm going to the bar tomorrow night. See what I'm saying? So it does not mean that God justifies drinking alcohol for leisure. Surely he was not telling Timothy to drink a strong alcoholic beverage because guess what? If anyone's ever drank anything, if you got the flu, nobody would say, hey, man, take a shot of whiskey. It makes you feel better. That's not going to make you feel better. It's going to make you feel worse. And so it's important to point out that the Bible does not say that the wine was used at the, even at the Last Supper. It, never, it says fruit of the vine. Fruit of the vine was used. Matthew, Mark, Luke, again, all say the exact same thing. In Luke twenty two eighteen, 18, he says, I say unto you, I will not drink the fruit of the vine till the kingdom of God shall come. Nothing leads me to believe that Jesus was like, I'm getting ready to ascend to heaven, die on a cross, and so let's just have one good party. Bring out the alcohol. I mean, we, we chuckle, but this is the way some of the people in our world are thinking. Study the word. We are the temple of the Holy Ghost. We're not to be brought under the power of anything but the Spirit of God. So if I drink this amount of beers, guess what? I'm, I, I'm not in complete control of my faculties. Therefore, the Holy Ghost is no longer in control of my life. so, can we just drink a little bit? Some of you still holding out hope. <laughs> Scripture says, avoid all appearance of evil. So you know what that means? I have a strong conviction. You will never see me in a restaurant. And walk up, heaven, this pastor's drinking. No, no, Sister Blanca, it's non-alcoholic beer. You will not see me drink anything of the sort. Now, the closest thing, if you see a bottle, it's root beer. So I might even have to be careful with that. But, but abstain from the very appearance of evil. At this point, every person would agree that a drunkard cannot inherit the kingdom of God. If you, if you believe the Bible at all, you can't argue that, for that, that point. The only thing that people still can try and discuss is, can I drink alcohol and not be a drunkard? It's the last thing to cover in this part before we move on. Well, this really, there's really a couple of different stops along this road. Well, when do I get drunk? Well, that depends. <laughs> I mean... You got a couple of different things. Sober. Everybody sober here tonight? All right. If you're listening online, I'm freaked out. Only five people raised their hand. They heard Brother Foster wasn't preaching and Pastor was back, so. We're sober. Then you drink. I just had a drink. I've, I've just, just drank a drink. 
Well, then if you keep drinking, or if you drink really fast, the next thing is you're buzzed. And if I keep going past that, I'm going to get drunk. And at some point, I'm going to be a drunkard. I'm sorry, I'm very basic. <laughs> do you know, there's no clear answer. At what point do I become a drunkard? Well, a lot of things depend. It depends on your weight and your tolerance to alcohol. My wife has never tried alcohol. Well, at least not on purpose. They did, they did bring her a margarita once, and she said, this tastes weird, and handed it to me. <laughs> I took a big drink and was like, oh, honey, it's alcoholic. So this lesson's for my wife. <laughs> but if a petite, small lady that never drank before, I'll keep picking her. If my wife grabbed a beer and slammed it tonight after church, she is going to have a good buzz, if not even have a touch of drunkenness because she's never drank. She's small. And another thing, it depends on how much food you eat. So there's a lot of different factors that go into this. The way to obey the scripture is I'm not going to have just a drink that could lead to the next thing, could lead to the next thing, could lead to me missing out on heaven as my home because of an, an alcoholic drink and losing out on eternity with Jesus Christ. The best thing for me to do is abstain from the appearance of evil, just as the Bible tells me to. To make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. So Eve, you look and say, why was she hanging around the tree? When God said, don't eat of it. Why would you even spend time around there? So if a drunkard won't inherit the kingdom of God, why would I try and have one beer or one glass of wine with dinner as long as I don't get drunk? Why mess with it? There's no reason other than to feed the flesh. And so abstain is the best thing. Second thing, though, is uh, don't yield yourself to smoking. This is another way that can potentially stir controversy. Some people do it whether they go to church or not. But all organizations of fundamental Christianity at one time took a stand against the use of tobacco. But it seems like it's not quite as strong anymore. Remember what the Bible said, our temples are the Holy Ghost. And again, if you just have this vision, we'll go in the scripture, but just use common sense. Imagine God dwelling in this temple and just filling his house with smoke. Just doesn't, doesn't give a very good picture of Christ, but, but of, of God in, in, in us. But look at 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 7. He says, no, you're not. You're the temple. It says, if any man defile. Remember, we read this. Defile the temple of God. The temple of God, which, is, which are you? He says, he says, look at what defile means. It means to make dirty, filthy, dishonor, corrupt, contaminate. That's exactly what smoking does. It contaminates the temple. And if you're not sure of that, I'll show you a set of lungs. There you go. I would say you contaminate the temple, smoking. There are four Surgeon General warnings on labels. On all the billboards, commercials, on the boxes of cigarettes, you will read one of these four things. 
Smoking causes lung cancer, heart disease, emphysema, may compl uh, complicate pregnancy. Number two, quitting smoking now greatly reduces serious risks to your health. Three, smoking by pregnant women may result in fetal injury, premature birth, and low birth weight. And again, that's where I have to have compassion and love and patience and mercy because everybody struggles with different things. But if I see a pregnant woman smoking a cigarette, oh, the anger of the Lord is upon me. Or it might just be the anger of Gary. Cigarette smoke cause, contains carbon monoxide. So there's these warnings that strictly say from the world, this is not us, this is, this is medical warning saying, hey, modern science has determined that you're killing yourself. According to the World Health Organization, their estimates are that there's 1.1 thousand million smokers in the world. And again, as I sit here and I say things like this, if you are here tonight and you do struggle with smoking, if you're listening online, you do struggle with smoking, I am not here to make fun. I am here to make it clear in the word of God that hopefully something's in you saying, my goodness, this is something that's contaminating the temple of God's Holy Spirit. I want to stop this. And chances are, especially with smoking, you probably already want to stop it. And I'm going to get to that in one second. But this, this here is about one-third of the global population over the age of 15. According to the World Health Report in 2000, this is over 10 years ago, it says smoking is estimated to cause over 90% of lung cancer in men and 70% of lung cancer in women. There's not one physical, at least with drinking, you can say, hey, a little wine for the stomach's sake. Smoking, there is not one physical benefit, you can argue. In addition to destruction of your health, tobacco's habit forming, which we see in scripture, is against the will of God. Many people try to break the habit but simply can't do it with, without God's help. That's why we need the Holy Spirit to fill us, to help us, lead us, guide us. And then we need a church, like Brother Bill Foster just spoke about last week, a church full of people to hold us accountable, help us with it, and a plan. And the third issue is don't yield yourself to drugs. <laughs> Our discussion of the addiction and destruction of both alcohol and cigarettes apply to drugs as well. Scripturally, anything that causes us to yield ourselves to anything but the Spirit of God is against the Bible. Anything that causes us to be addicted to something is against the Bible. Anything that impairs judge, uh, judgment and ability to think rationally, it is against the Bible. Anything that causes us to not be a good steward of the money that God provides us is against the Bible. Anything that defiles our temple, which means corrupts the purity or perfection of the temple, is against the Bible. So drugs produced much of the same destruction as alcohol and worse in some cases. Basically, any drug that causes the equivalent of drunkenness, which is loss of self-control, it can lead to sin and cause physical harm. Or these drugs, we can become dependent or addicted to them, and that also is not pleasing to God. Again, it's not just displeasing to him because you are brought under the power and subjection of them, but you're destroying the temple that he desires to inhabit and to dwell in. Now, these problems uh, and addictions are potential for serious health problems, and they make every illegal drug something that is against the word of God. So even the, the latest arguments about marijuana, I had a whole section for your benefit to keep this shorter. I cut it out. Marijuana has more carcinogens than nicotine. It destroys your body faster than it, so I don't 
don't care if any, even if they voted in and say it's going to be used for medicinal purposes across the country, I still preach against it because it's destroying the temple. But to be consistent, up to this point, I could preach in 100 Pentecostal churches and I'd probably have 99% of the people with me. And hallelujah, praise God, preach against drugs, alcohol, and smoking. Now is where I step out and go into somewhere where you might not be as comfortable saying amen. We ought to apply the, everything I've just said to legal drugs as well as illegal drugs. Because there might be a greater problem with legal prescription medicine than there is with the illegal. Some of that might be the medical profession, pain management clinics. I'm going to hand you this. We're not really looking to fix the problem. We're just looking to mask the symptoms. I'm not real a big fan of that. Um, now, I stand here willingly admitting, because I know this is a very sensitive subject, that there are some people who need prescription medicine. I am not standing in the pulpit preaching against all prescription medicine. Sometimes people have a very real need for whatever physical ailment, emotional ailment, that they have to take prescription medicine. But even in those cases, there must be wisdom. I am a big fan of the fact that someone should be holding you accountable. Well, I'm strong. I can do this. I can do that. Listen, if we get to the place where we feel like we can handle whatever, you read the Bible and you read greater men and women than you and I have fallen and failed. So we have to set up safeguards that say, I'm not going to allow myself even to start down that road. Unless, unless uh, and, and, uh, and I am willing to admit I have not experienced some of the pain that you or others have experienced, but unless it's to the verge where I just cannot handle it. I remember when I broke my leg, they gave me prescription medicine on the way out. I threw it away. I just, it's kind of run in my family, and I, and I do not want to open that door. I'm very passionate about this. And I see it destroying a large part of America, destroying homes and families and lives. Because, And then what typically happens, if we're not careful, is a prescription is given for pain. And then you can't sleep, so a prescription is given for sleeping. And then you get depressed, and so a, a prescription is then given for depression. And before you know it, you're taking a handful of pills, and you have to be careful. Because it can destroy your life. So what do I do? Well, there's some people that have to take it. Get a spouse. Get a friend. Okay? When they were trying all this stuff, my back kept locking up. They gave me a thing of muscle relaxers. I was scared to death of them, but my back was so locked up one time, I told my wife, I'm taking one. Here's where they are. And so, you know what? Out of that whole bottle, I took two, and I was done. And I'm not, again, I'm not exalting myself, but I'm saying, I've seen the end result of this more than one time in my short life. And it destroys a lot of times the quality of life. So we have to be careful with legal drugs as well as illegal drugs. So you know what? Keep it above the table. Get, get, get. Make sure that you're getting prescription medicine from your doctor. Get a spouse. Get someone to help you. Monitor it. Don't let yourself have, put, put up safeguards as many times as you can. Accountability is a powerful thing. Lastly, take another drink of water. (laughs) 
If we're going to spend time, we might as well spend time here. Pentecostals especially, man, we are passionate about not smoking, not drinking, not taking drugs. What's our reasoning? There's nothing in the Bible that, that, that talks about some of these specifics. Because it destroys the temple. Because it ruins the temple that God's coming to dwell in. We need to not contaminate the temple. We need to take care of the temple of God. That's the place where God dwells. Well, let's remember that. Because I saw this recently. It really spoke to me. If you're listening online, you're missing a great slide filled with Dr. Pepper, M&M candies, burgers, cheese whiz on Doritos, which sounds disgusting anyway. Jelly bellies, Hershey's, and crackles. I'm convicted that's sitting on my desk right now. So here's the thing. It's Pentecostals. This is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And sometimes we've almost been judgmental to people because they've still struggled with alcohol, prescription medicine, illegal drugs, whatever. And we are chowing down on this stuff constantly, which is a drug in itself. And do the research, because guess what? If you're eating McDonald's six times a week, you're not healthy. If we, if we, can, if we can sit down in our bed and, and pop down 12 donuts, you're not healthy. There, there's a real problem here. I know we're chuckling, but I hope we bring it back around to the fact that this is really serious. And I'm not, if we're saying we're the temple, there should be a, an element of health in what I eat, in my exercise. Well, I, I, when, when Paul said bodily exercise profiteth little, that does not mean don't exercise. It was just a compare and contrast, okay? If our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost and we are saying, I don't want to contaminate it, I want to take care of it, well, then take care of it and don't just preach one element and stay away from the other element because that's kind of hypocritical. So, yes, I do believe that we as Pentecostals should be aiming to be healthy, to exercise, to be careful what we put in our bodies. And I'm speaking myself too because it's not just weight. I'm not, I'm not here to try and get us so concerned about body image and, and weight as much as I'm health. Eating right and doing things right. And I'm preaching to myself too. And I've made some changes in my own life because um, recently when I went to the doctor, they took my blood for a physical. And I'm still fine. Everything's totally healthy. But my numbers of what was normal in that realm of for diabetes... It was a little too close for me. I didn't like it. And so I don't want to wait to make changes when I get there. I don't want to get there. So I've started to make small changes. I've had some bad habits. This is our small group and everybody else listening online. You can just hear about my terrible habits. Ah, oh, no, no. God's delivered me from that. I would wake up during the night and eat. So I'll get up and like, man, I'll run downstairs. Now I'm not talking about eating a, a tub of fried chicken, but no, I'm just talking about, I'm just talking about I wake up and eat a cookie or a donut or something and go back to sleep. And that's part of the reason I got cavities all in my mouth. <laughs> Terrible habits. 
So you know what that does to your blood sugar? Go back to bed? Terrible. I'm done. I have not done that. I've probably done that twice in the last months and months and months and months. So see, I still fall twice, but I'm done, okay? That, that part's done. I now, when I go out to eat, I do my best to get wheat bread instead of white bread. Just small changes here. And, and, and if I go out to eat uh, for lunches, typically, I will try to get water. Dinners, you know, I'm still working on that. But just making things that I'm saying, okay, I'm trying to make some shifts in my life to say, this body's a temple. It's not just a spiritual thing, but yeah, to be a, I want to I be healthy for my kids, my wife, the church. But to say, it's not just weight-related, because you could look at me and say, oh, he's a healthy guy, he's skinny. But it's not just weight. So we have to say, again, I'm not going to go, those people that smoke, what's wrong with you? Why are you smoking? Why are you drinking? You just need to give that up while I'm shoveling donuts in my face. (laughs) I'm saying, let's be right across the board. Let's be balanced. Let's say if the body's a temple, then you know what? I'm aiming, for, I'm aiming to take care of it in every way, shape, and form that I can. And I'll throw out one last thing and get off this. A lot of people, again, we're fine Pentecost with these things. But do you know that recent statistics show that there's something that causes more cancer than smoking? Anyone know what that is? Tanning beds. Now, am I sitting here trying to preach on everything from under the sun that's right and wrong? No, I'm simply trying to get our thoughts thinking in the fact that we have been so passionate about these two or three things for so long. And I'm not saying that it's okay. I'm not saying... Hey, yeah, we might as well forget it all. Let's meet at the bar at 8 o'clock tonight. No, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying have a well-rounded view of Scripture that says, if my body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, and I say, what's wrong with those people? They take drugs, but uh, do they not know smoking is going to cause cancer? I'll talk to you more about it when I get done with my 20 minutes in the tanning bed. Which causes more cancer than the cigarette. Do you see what I'm saying here? I knew, I knew you were not going to be going, amen, preach the word. But I'm okay with that. And if you're listening online, I'm okay with that. Listen, I'm teaching this with love. I really am because I want us to have an open view of the scripture where we say, hey, listen, if I'm going to be passionate about this, what, why am I passionate about that? Because my body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Well, then there's probably some other things we need to be passionate about. That says, hey, I, I can see their problems very clearly, but, you know, if, if, I'm, if I'm polishing down a Reese's before jumping in the tanning bed, that's fine. <laughs> Folks. Don't be brought under the power of any. I know, I mean, here's the thing. We can be brought under the power of food. And that's why fasting is really important, too, because you deny flesh something that it craves. And you remind your flesh, no, 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 no. I'm in control. The spirit of God living in me. Krispy Kreme is not in control. 
I don't even like Krispy Kreme. If I'm going to fall, I'm going to Dunkin' Donuts. So just, just, just a couple things to think about. So the Bible makes it clear we're not to be brought under the power of anything but the Holy Ghost. And so you know what? I wonder how many alcoholics and addicts wake up and say, hey, man, I'm pumped. Today is the day I'm going to get addicted. I totally planning on this. I'm, I'm going I'm to destroy my life. I'm going in. I'm jumping in head first. I'm just, I'm just going to get addicted. It's ridiculous. Nobody ever plans on getting addicted. Not to anything. People start by trying something once. Before they know it, they're loving the feeling, the acceptance, something that's being given to them is the way they look. There's literally people that do get addicted to tanning beds. So we get to the point where, you know what? It's almost like makeup. I, can't, I don't feel like I'm beautiful unless my skin is this color. My, my. I mean, that's, that's serious stuff. See, and, and, and so people, you get to the point where people can't sleep through a night without waking up for a smoke. People can't go to work without getting a buzz to carry them through. Greater people than you and I have fallen, but don't get so prideful that you think you can always be the one who's different. Don't be conceited. Just like someone can die of lung cancer, you can die of lung cancer. Someone's marriage can be destroyed. Your marriage can be destroyed. Someone can become addicted and end up being homeless. So can you. So can I. Just like someone can miss heaven, we can too. So we have to be wise. When you're filled with the Spirit of God, your body's now his temple. It is his dwelling place. Paul says, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Holiness is sanctifying and cleansing yourself with the desire to set yourself apart from God. If you're listening here live or online, I don't want you to go say, well, man, he just laid down the rules for the church. The whole series, you're missing it. Nobody meets you at the door and says, you reek like smoke, leave. Nobody does that. But what I'm saying is if you're saying, I'm hungry for God, I want to grow with God, I want to know God, I want to remove everything that hinders me from God, these are things that will hinder you. They're things that can destroy the temple. But here's the really important thing. If you're not filled with the Spirit of God, that means biblically he's not dwelling inside of you right now. Yes, he hears your prayers. He loves you, but you haven't invited him in. He, he hasn't given you the evidence that he's now indwelling inside of you. And if you're trying this, to, to start this new lifestyle, you're saying, hey, I want to live for God. I want to do this. I want to get away from some of these things. And you're trying to do some of these things without his spirit. The Bible talks about literally a flesh and spirit war against each other. Which one do you think wants the cold bud light? It's not the spirit. It's the flesh. And so if I don't have the spirit, I'm trying to defeat the, the flesh with the willpower of the flesh. It's not impossible. But when I get filled with the spirit of God and I say, hey, 
I want God to help me change my life, to give me the power to be an overcomer, to have his spirit in me. Because filling me with his spirit is not just to get me to heaven. It's, it's the journey there to help me to live as an overcomer. And so if I'm filled with the spirit, I can daily, God, help me. I deny my flesh. I crucify the flesh, Jesus. Help me to walk away from these things. Lord, I need you today. And, li- and like Brother Foster spoke last week, the purpose of our church is if you're struggling with any of these things, don't let your pride, whether it is even food or smoking or alcohol or drugs, whatever it is, find someone you trust or come to me and say, Pastor, hey, here's where I'm at, man. I need help. I don't want to live like this. I've been struggling with X, Y, Z, and I'm sick and tired of it. I want to start taking steps right now to change the way that I live. And then you know what? There's power and accountability. There's a plan that we can come up with beyond just, well, I'll pray for you. We'll come up with a plan that says, okay, hey, here's where you are. Here's where you want to be. We're going to start one day at a time. So I don't just preach this back over the head and say, see you later. I'll pray for you. No, we will be here if you need help. Whether it's you here or you online. Let's stand to our feet. Our bodies. This is not rules. This is the beauty of being a child of God. And he says, I've chosen to dwell in that temple, not the temple in the Old Testament anymore. But now I want to be with my people dwelling in them. What a great, great privilege. What a great responsibility. It makes me want to be better. I want this place to be a place for his glory to dwell, as the song says. Jesus, oh God, I just come before you right now knowing that, oh my goodness, I have not reached some level of perfection. There's things that I still want to take care of. There's still foods that I consume even that, you know what, I know they're not healthy for me, Jesus. I know I'm never going to be perfect, but I want to be cognizant of these things. I want, Lord God, for my body to be a place that I say, you know what, I take care of myself in every way, shape, and form. I certain things I will stay away from, Lord, because I want to honor you. I want my body, Lord Jesus, to be clean, pure, holy, sanctified, set apart for your glory, Jesus. Lord, I don't want substances in my body that are destructive, Lord God. Jesus, I pray, help us as a people, everyone listening online, that if they're struggling tonight and they feel so hopeless because of alcohol or drugs or prescription medicine or whatever it is, Jesus, I pray, let them hear this and actually feel just a ray of hope. Let them know that you're with them, Lord God, that you want to fill them with your spirit. You want to help them walk out of that land of bondage and into a place of promise, Lord. And so, Jesus, help us, Lord God, to again experience hope afresh. And if if we're walking and this lesson is not something that's that's weighing us down then help us to be someone who turns and offers hope to someone else who maybe it is weighing them down lord god just because lord jesus we might not be struggling with it anymore there are people in this audience tonight who used to be alcoholics who used to be drug addicts lord like the scripture says such were some of you lord god let someone remember what it was like to feel the freedom when they walked out of that life of bondage that life of addiction lord jesus and help them 
them, Lord, to have enough compassion to turn and recognize when someone else is going through it that they can say, let me pray with you. Let me be someone who counsels with you and talks to you and calls you because I want to help you get through this. Lord Jesus, let someone remember that tonight and be someone who offers hope, Lord Jesus, in your name. God, in the name of Jesus, we pray. In the name of Jesus, we pray. In Jesus' name. Who here would ever raise their hand and say, you know what? I used to be a drug addict. Anyone? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven people. How many can raise their hand and say, you know what? I used to be addicted. Man, I used to smoke packs and packs of cigarettes. Raise your hand. How many of you say, you know what? I used to be an alcoholic. I used to drink all the time. Look at this. You're talking about some of the strongest people in the church that used to, used to struggle with these things. There ain't, not, there ain't no embarrassment in saying, hey, I used to be that person, but God, he, he, he done washed me. He, I repented of my sins. He delivered me. How many people are going to church with you right now? How many people are sitting in these pews with you on Sunday mornings that are struggling with this, feeling so guilty, like I can't come to an altar, you don't know. Man, I was just smoking, drinking, I was doing this, and I know I'm not living the life, and I, I just don't think I'm ever going to break from, free from it because I've tried so many times. They need someone to come up and say, hey, I've been there. Let me tell you some of the things I've done. Can I be an accountability partner with you? You mind if I call you once or twice a week? You mind if I, if I touch base with you? I, will you invite me to be that person? Folks? You know it's difficult to walk away from these types of things. They need more than just church once or twice a week. They need someone. Will you pray about being that someone to some person that might be struggling? Will you do that? In Jesus' name, God bless you all. We will see you this weekend.